Hello and welcome to Giving Ventures, a podcast to help you grow your giving and change the world for the better. Each episode, we share innovative charitable efforts leveraging private philanthropy to solve public problems. I'm your host, Peter Lipset, Vice President at Donors Trust. This show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor advised fund focused on helping conservative and libertarian donors of all capacities simplify, protect, and grow their giving. My colleagues and I talk with a lot of groups doing great work. This show lets us share a bit of what we learn with you so you can discover new projects for your own philanthropy. Today we're going to talk about an issue that is near and dear to me. How do we engage and cultivate the next generation of leaders for the principles of liberty? There is a popular sentiment that we've discussed in past episodes of this show that the younger generation are trending away from free markets and capitalism. I believe, however, there is so much opportunity and ample reason to be optimistic that we can change that narrative. The groups I'm going to talk to today agree with me. We're going to hear from the leaders of America's Future, Teneo Network, and the Washington Policy Center's Young Professionals Program, and I think you'll walk away being encouraged as well. And you might pick up a few ideas that you can share with organizations you care about about how they can tap into young professionals in ways that not just lets the group grow, but the cause as a whole. So what are these groups doing to broaden the base? Let's jump in and find out. I first discovered America's Future in the way one discovers very many groups in Washington, D.C., which was through a happy hour. America's Future, or AF as we often call it, is much more than happy hours, though. Over its 27-year history, it has become a premier organization, engaging liberty-minded young professionals in D.C., but also all across the country. For full disclosure, I am on the board of AF, but uh, I'm not the best spokesman, a far better spokesman for the organization is its president, Cindy Circatella, who joins me here. Cindy, why don't we just start with you describing what is the mission of AF? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. America's Future, we basically exist to develop lifelong effective advocates for freedom. That is our goal. Uh, And shorthand, I like to say that we're developing the next generation of freedom's leaders. Uh, And we particularly do that by building a firm support network so that people have the colleagues and the collaborators that they need to move forward. We give them a great grounding in the ideas of liberty and how that applies to the challenges they see in the country and within their community. And then we give them the opportunity to grow professionally and increase their leadership skills through a variety of different offerings as well. And you've got a number of ways that you organize these folks and a number Mm -hmm. of different events. We'll talk about some events in a minute, but you know, you have a membership model for individual members. You've got city chapters, city or metro area chapters, and then you've got these multi-city or multi-state even hubs. Correct. Talk to us about those different levels and, and why why so many different ways of organizing it. Absolutely. Well, one thing that we know is that there are young people spread all across the country, and we can't necessarily physically be in every city or town where young people want to engage. Um, and one important thing that I should mention is that AF is particularly focused on young professionals after college in their 20s and 30s. And so we want to find ways to serve them and to build community with those of them who care about the ideas of freedom and care about advancing those wherever they are. And so really we've developed a variety of different ways to reach people, whether we can see them in person 
in Chicago, say for a chapter event or through a regional hub across the state or across a region or online. Um, so we really divide our work in a few different ways. Our membership program and our online courses help young people to connect whether they are in a city where we have activity or are completely disconnected from that. And then, like you mentioned, we have 10 city-based chapters that host events every month in order to bring people together. And then our kind of chapters on steroids, our regional hubs, we have five of those across the country, and they get more involved within their local communities, but then they also do outreach to the surrounding states or the cities around them. And what are you convening these folks to do? You've mentioned some online things. You've, I mentioned happy hours earlier. What is it folks are really looking for with their involvement for AF? Not just like on a, you know, in how they share an hour, but kind of long term. Yeah. So I think that the, our particular target market is young people who are wanting to get involved in making their communities better, and they are skeptical about whether progressive solutions are the right way to go. Uh, so it's people who are kind of liberty curious, and then people who have been exposed to the ideas of freedom and really love them passionately and know them the ins and outs. It's a broad range of people. And what we find is that young people are looking for opportunities to connect with people who share their values, and they're looking for ways to take action. They don't want to be on the sidelines of life. And I think like many of your listeners probably, we are nervous about the direction our country is going and young people are looking for ways to get involved. So I think the big reason that people come to AF is to one, find people who share their values that they can continue to connect with, but then two, to find opportunities to get more involved and to take on leadership in hoping to make this country a more free place. Let's go a little deeper into some of the programs, the, the longer term programs. I know you had a writing fellows program for a long time. Is that and, and you've done development programs. What are the active long term more educational things you have going on? Absolutely. So we still conduct our writing fellows program. It is a six week course that we do here in our office in Washington, D.C., but also virtually. And it's designed to help young people who want to expand their writing skills and particularly if they want to go into journalism. And so through that program, over six weeks, they meet with editors, with journalists, with communications directors to learn how to write effectively and to get published. Uh, just this year, we launched a new fellowship because we have found that our fellowship programs, these longer term programs, uh, are a great way for us to better serve our audience, but they're also really interested in those longer term things. And it's a great way for them to get to know AF and want to do more with them. So we launched a new fellowship this year called the Go Fellowship that's focused on young people who want to be social entrepreneurs and who want to get involved in their communities to make a difference, whether that's through starting a nonprofit or just starting an activism project. And that is going to be running this summer. Um, so those are some of the more kind of established professional development programming that we do in addition to the monthly events and things that we host on the ground. Uh, we also have an awards program because we think it's really important to introduce and inspire young people to know that they can make a big difference. And so we celebrate other young people under 40 who have made great contributions to advancing freedom and hopefully inspire many more to get involved as well. Yeah, you held that just a few weeks ago there in D.C. Correct. And that was a lot of fun yeah. and some great, uh, great award winners, including one who was featured on this podcast before, Garrett Ballinger from West Virginia. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of others who are doing great things. And it's a great reminder of 
what young professionals are able to do out there. And it's good that you're patting them on the back and raising them up and reminding people that, you know, they're out there doing amazing stuff. It's, it's really cool. In fact, you can give us the 30 second story. So Garrett, people listen to this podcast may know a little bit, the other Buckley award winner, give us the 30 second story on hers. She is amazing. Kathy Dillon. She founded while she was on in college, she founded a website called the Lone conservative where she and other writers wrote about policy and culture from a conservative perspective. Uh, In her day job, she works now, well, she worked for the Daily Wire as a contributor. And the reason that she won the award in particular is because when Russia invaded Ukraine earlier this year, she gathered a crew and immediately went. Uh, She was on the ground and she was interviewing individuals who were fleeing. She was uh, interviewing individuals who were staying. And she really brought the story to American audiences uh, through that work. Uh, She's now working for a PAC and is involved in continuing to do that journalism work. And we really wanted to celebrate the bravery of heading to a war zone, um, but then also thank her for bringing those stories home to us. Right. There's no age limit on doing awesome things and important things. Absolutely not. (laughs) um, And I think F F highlights that, which is great. All right. So one other question kind of veering away a little bit from AF, but still part of AF. a couple years ago, America's Future acquired the Liberty Movement's best, most amazing hiring firm, Talent Market, uh, which incidentally it acquired from Donors Trust. It used to be housed yeah. over here. Uh, what does having Claire Kittle Dixon and her team at Talent Market do for AF? How why, what's the what's the upside to that partnership? Well, believe it or not, Peter, young people want jobs. they are eager to get to work Um, and one thing that we have found that's really interesting is over 60 percent of the people involved with AF on the ground across the country have never really interacted with a free market think tank before Um, but once they start participating in AF programming and hearing about the ideas of freedom and how they can bring those about they want to work in the freedom movement Um, And the freedom movement and all of these different think tanks that talent market serves, they're constantly looking for talent across the spectrum uh, from people who can do accounting to people who are creative to policy thinkers. And so it's been a really great relationship to be able to introduce our audience to the potential to work in advancing freedom full time. Um, But it's also a really wonderful relationship across the board, because one thing that we can do as a part of uh, working closely with talent market is we can identify needs and talent needs within the movement. Uh, One example is that talent market is always hiring for development staff and oftentimes they're hiring for more entry level development staff. And once we saw that, we decided to partner with Leadership Institute to put together a webinar series on effective fundraising skills uh, so that we can make sure that young people who are interested in getting involved in that line of work have the information and the skills that they need to do that. So it's a really great kind of cross-promotional relationship that we have with Talent Market. I think that's great. And I think that it continues to show just the many ways that I think you and then the team over there are finding these touch points to engage these young professionals all across the country and, and particularly in these big urban areas that, uh, that we need. They're, they're the pipeline for the future. So, Cindy, keep up the good work. We love what America's Future is doing. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I have never felt as comfortable and welcomed as I did at my very first Teneo Network event several years ago. Few other groups have really built the sense of community that Teneo has, uh, which is made all the more impressive by the exceptionally high caliber of people that the group attracts. 
Teneo's aim is to recruit, connect, and deploy the coming generations of leaders for freedom. And you're going to find Teneans in both the chambers of Congress, playing professional sports, leading think tanks and the media, on and on and on. Uh, and just, it's, a, it's an incredible group. Amanda Covo took over as president of Teneo last year uh, after many years with the organization. It's exciting to see her there. Uh, Amanda, why don't you just start by telling us in your own words, what is Teneo? Well, thanks so much for that warm introduction, Peter. And what fun to be with you. Um, you know, we're building a pipeline of talent that defends and advances America's founding principles, work that has really never been more vital than it is today. Conservatives for far too long now have really failed to prioritize the placement of talented people in positions of influence in, in key industries in America. But the left hasn't. Progressives have mobilized money and talent to successfully influence every sphere of culture. In the last few years, as an example, you know, we've seen Hollywood banning pro-America films, investment banks banning investment in energy businesses, and, and major American companies are forcing their woke ideology into the lives of consumers. And that really has to change, and we can change it, and that's exactly what Teneo is doing. So Teneo is a national leadership organization that exists to recruit, connect, and deploy the most talented and influential young conservatives who lead opinion and shape the industries that shape society. Our members are younger, they're in their 40s and under, and while much of the conservative movement has focused on developing the right ideas, Teneo's focus is on developing the right leaders and then deploying those leaders to take our shared ideas to boardrooms and editorial rooms and Silicon Valley and the White House and, and so on. You've continued to grow and evolve over the years. And Leonard Leo, uh, who some people may know from his days at the Federalist Society, recently joined your board as chairman. And I've heard him say that Teneo has a lot of similarities to the Federalist Society in its structure and its mission. Talk to us about that comparison, because as you as you talk, I start to see that. But help elaborate on that. Well, as you know, Peter, and I'm sure many of your listeners are aware, the Federalist Society has really proven itself as one of the most influential conservative organizations in America today. And so put simply, our work is to replicate within Teneo what the Federalist Society accomplished, what Leonard and others were able to do within law, will now do in finance and business and media and technology and beyond. So we're building within Teneo the capacity to leverage friendship and talent and ideas to really capture the gates of the industries that define our culture and, and shape our society and implement it at a much larger scale. Hey, you mentioned friendship there. So let, let's talk a little bit about that because that's not necessarily something that a lot of policy shops run to, certainly um, not that you're a policy shop, but the magic of Teneo, Teneo to me is just that phenomenal sense of community that you build mm -hmm. among your members. I mean, like I said, I felt so welcomed at the very first event and every subsequent event I've attended. Can you help us understand that that secret sauce that, that you all have put in place to build this camaraderie, to build this sense of community there at Teneo? Oh, I, I love that you felt that way at a Teneo event. And it's true. Our events lay the groundwork for deep bonds of friendship and trust to form, all, all motivated by our shared values and priorities. And, you know, our chairman Leonard calls it the, the foxhole theory of networks, with the idea being that there is nobody you would rather share a foxhole with than your closest friends. And, and equally, that time spent in the trenches produces a level of, of trust and intimacy that can be put into action to advance our ideas. So, 
so as an example of that, when, when a filmmaker has an important message to bring to the world, where does he or she go? They need to know the right people in finance and journalism and so on. People who can bring that film to American society. So Teneo is positioned in a way that really no other organization is to bring those industry leaders together. And Teneo events, whether there are national events or our chapter events, are designed with that purpose in mind building connective tissue among overlapping networks of friends that can be deployed or operationalized toward projects that advance our shared ideas. And what are some of those events? What are the types of things that you're using to convene folks together? Well, we have um, our marquee event, our an annual retreat every single year, which brings together around 400 of the leading uh, conservative and libertarian uh, doers and thinkers. And they're from business and um, and in public policy and, and, and government and media and, uh, and entertainment and so on. And so um, we put together really really high quality events that, uh, that, that frankly, people want to travel from all over the country to attend. We also have national summits and then we have chapter events. And so we'll organize probably, you know, a hundred to 150 chapter events this year within local communities. And they will range from, you know, an interesting, um, discussion that illuminates a particular, uh, policy issue, for example, um, to help bring our help educate our members so they, they ha, uh, can go into their communities and industries to be real thought leaders on behalf of our ideas. Sometimes they're they're a little more social and they're really built to uh, be a place that again forms those deep ties and friendships. It might actually be uh, something that's a bit more of a, a family focused event because we are a group of of members who are younger. We also have we have, that means we have young kids at home. And so we really want to um, build programming that is uh, focused around where our members are right now. I think that's so important to that, that last point of being where your members are and understanding that and still trying to move the ball forward. So, you know, today is a little bit different than a lot of organizations. Obviously, you're purpose built to reach out to, to this cohort. You're a membership organization. So, you know, it's not just easy opt in, but I think there's still lessons from the development that you all have had that other organizations can can apply. What are some of those lessons? What do you think some of the great strengths of Teneo are that other groups could could think about how to incorporate? What a great question. You know, our, our founder, Teneo's founder, Evan Baer, was so brilliant in building Teneo to be an organization of leaders committed to service. He knew that the most vibrant institutions in American life today are not the ones that ask little of their members, but they're the ones that require the most participation and the most sacrifice. Humans long for challenge and community and the institutions that ask the most of their members fill that need. So Teneo members are busy leaders within their industries and their communities, yes, but they're also serving the organization's mission, shoulder to shoulder, and some as chapter leaders, as I mentioned earlier. Teneo's chapter life program connects the most talented leaders in city-based chapters across the country, building a tight-knit community of people who are committed to supporting, to supporting one another and promoting our shared mission locally. And there are countless other ways that members show up to serve one another and, by extension, our shared priorities. So while it sounds counterintuitive that the best organizations are the ones to make it easy to take part, it's really the ones that demand the most of their members. And the good news is that the work of Teneo is nothing less than shaping American culture. So there's no shortage of things to do, Peter. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I think that's a really, really great point, a really great challenge that, that sometimes we can get 
caught into the the thinking that we just need to lower the bar as low as possible. But sometimes making people jump a bar actually gets them more committed and gets more out of folks and lets us march forward in in more strength. So Amanda Kovo, really appreciate all you're doing there. Appreciate all Taneo's doing. Thanks for being part of this today. Thank you, Peter. I continually hold up the Washington Policy Center's Young Professionals Program as the gold standard for how state think tanks should be approaching how they engage with young professionals. No one is doing it better, and they're doing it in deep blue Washington state. The program is 10 years old now and uh, is now led by Marissa Gaston, who is here with me today to talk about this. Marissa, one of the things that I think makes the program unique is the wide assortment of activities that you all do with your folks. I mean, you're coming to me live from outside of Seattle, from a different part of the state. Um, You know, talk to us about the different ways you're engaging these young professionals. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here, Peter. It's a pleasure to be talking about YPs with you again. Um, I am currently broadcasting live from the beautiful Tri-Cities, which are in southeastern Washington. Uh, The YP program has an event here uh, this evening out at a a lovely locally owned winery. We've got 75 people registered plus waiting list, um, which is exciting. And this will be our Q2 event. So I like to talk about how the program has kind of three hubs uh, in the state of Washington where we have kind of a critical mass of young professionals. So we have uh, very consistent, typically at minimum quarterly programming there um, in Spokane, in Tri-Cities, and in Seattle. Plus, we're actively expanding into north central Washington, which is the Wenatchee River Valley area. Um, So more directly to your question about how exactly we engage young people, um, it's a big answer. So I would say the main way is through events. And as I just spoke to, we try to hit those quarterly in each of our hubs, um, plus a monthly book club. So that's another 12 right there, which is typically uh, in Seattle and is also now expanding into the Tri-Cities as well, which is exciting. And these events range from socials, like our summer social series that will be kicking off here at the end of July and going into August, to happy hours, which are a little bit smaller, but still kind of revolve around networking and then hearing some really quality speakers, to volunteering activities, such as one that we did in early May in Seattle, where we went out and did a volunteer litter pick in a Seattle city park in partnership with a local nonprofit, um, and also in partnership with Donors Trust, uh, your Nova Society program, (laughs) and YPs removed over 4,000 pounds of garbage from uh, a city park there, plus the book club, which I already spoke to. So the events take a variety of forms. Um, we try to lead with our policy plus action mantra, that, that mindset, and we find that events where young professionals can really make an impact, a tangible impact, so especially volunteering events, um, are super, super effective at getting people out and excited. Um, other ways that we engage are through podcast content, similar to this one, through the monthly newsletter that we put out through our mentorship program, which goes on a yearly cycle, um, and through our college clubs. So we have YP college clubs at four universities across Washington State, um, which is just really a a fantastic way to kind of be on the front lines of young minds um, and talking about free market ideas to uh, to and with young people uh, while they're at that very critical juncture of being at university. So why do you think they get involved in the first place? I mean, what prompts a a young professional to say, you know, it would be fun as a happy hour put on by a policy shop? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that more even than crisply presented policy um, or, or excellently formulated policy solutions that we share with them, the magic ingredient, the secret sauce is the community, is 
not to be too kind of quantitative sounding about it, but to create a positive emotional experience, right? So when these people come to your event, they it feels warm. They're welcomed. They they feel like they've got the beginnings of new friendships starting. I mean, especially if they come alone. We consistently hear that it's hard to come to events on your own, which I think for most folks is pretty universal. So I have very intentional conversations with my YP leadership. So the, the members, the volunteers who are the most involved in the program, who have, who have stepped into a leadership role on a committee, steering committee, on our advisory board, we have conversations about how to create good culture and strategies around really stewarding uh, new members, uh, first timers. I mean, we had a recent YP event where 21%, over 21% actually, of our registrants were first timers. So what did I do for all of those people? Um, on the back end, on, on the admin side, the staff side, I took that, pulled that list of names and put a little star on the name tags of everyone who was a first timer. And all of the YP leaders and the steering committee in this case knew that and knew that they, uh, you know, should, when they see, saw that person, extend an extra special welcome to them. And I do not, I say all this just to emphasize, I think, a part of the conversation, a part of the equation, if you will, that we in the policy world especially don't always give enough credit to. In fact, that I, I frequently feel like I, I don't see conversations happening around it enough at all. But I also don't say it to the exclusion of having really, really high quality content because that is a bedrock, that's foundational, that's an absolute pillar. So again, like recent events that we've run, whether it's you know on, on energy or on public safety or whatever it is, like the, at the baseline is people coming away saying, wow, what incredible speakers you brought out. Wow, this was high quality content, high quality discussion. So that's, that's just a starting point. And then the other thing I'll add to this conversation in terms of getting them to come and to stay is to have a funnel that really starts small. So in my program's case, it's really become the book club. The book club is, is, is monthly and it runs uh, in Seattle and now also in Tri-Cities, different part of the state, which is super exciting. And we have found again and again that this is a wonderful place to bring people in for the first time to really start engaging with the community on, on a small scale in a really intimate setting um, and, and to start making friends that they maybe then are, are invited to the next larger event with and, and come with. Well, you're not the, yeah, no, you're not the first person on this podcast to reference the importance of community. And I think you're spot on in, in that. And frankly, I think that's a lesson that a lot of groups can take across the spectrum, right? Yeah, and and just and and jumping in with another thought on that. I mean, and, and I think I spoke to this in in the answer I just gave is whenever you can offer events too that really have high impact or even high impact potential, right? So in my program, the operative mindset is policy plus action, and this is perhaps best showcased in our volunteering events. So we did one in early May where we went out and, and as I just referenced, <laughs> we, we removed over 4,000 pounds of garbage from a Seattle city park. And the group that went out there was like, was gelling and was, was, was having a blast. Um, so those are wonderful ways to bring out young professionals too. And for anyone who's interested in kind of quote unquote further reading, um, a book that I read last year, uh, that has given me a ton of inspiration and, and also practical actionable steps to being a leader that helps create good community, which is of course intrinsically grounded in good culture, is a book called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle, C-O-Y-L-E. I found that really, really helpful. And he gets into why the elite groups, whether it's Navy SEALs teams or, or the Google startup that succeeded in the cutthroat.com era out of all of its competitors, right? Like why do, why do these little elite groups 
uh, triumph, what distinguishes that? And his answer is essentially culture, and he dives into that. That's a great point. All right, so an easy pushback to, particularly at the state think tank level or for some of these smaller groups uh, that might think about starting some organization focused on young professionals like what you all have built is that it's really just a cost sink. They're not going to recoup any money. It's a long-term thing. They don't have time for long-term. They need money now. Uh, could it, why don't you take that that idea on? I mean, what what is your response to somebody <laughs> who thinks that? And does the program actually pay for itself? So first answer, short answer is yes. Young professionals typically breaks even, um, especially at some of our largest events of the year where we're investing the most money. We come, we come very close, if not on top of breaking even. But the thing, the thing I'm going to say is, is probably the unpopular answer. Um, and I know that, that, that many folks listening to this probably want to hear something a little bit different, but I'm just going to be really frank. Like, if you don't make the long-term investment, then you're screwed because all the material resources that, that you may have mean nothing in 10, 20, 30 years without effective leadership that is, that is grounded, that is, that is moral, <laughs> that, it, that is inculcated in your values and bought in and believing. Like All of those resources mean nothing without that kind of effective leadership to steward them. And the other side <laughs> has played this long game to... AT and and they are bearing the fruits of it and and seeing it borne out right like the, this goes back 50 60 plus years and get into all the whole history at a different time so it absolutely is a long-term investment and it's the best one that you'll ever make well, I think that is a, a great place to leave it that is an awesome point uh, and hopefully that'll inspire some folks to to go out and do this so Marissa Gaston thank you for being with us today thank you I take to heart the oft-quoted Reagan quote about liberty always being one generation away from extinction. We get a, a bit of a head start on bending the future toward freedom when we engage a broader and younger swath of the population in these ideas. As Amanda Covo from Taneo told us, this is more than a passive event. It's okay to ask a lot, because what we're fighting for is big. And as all three of our guests pointed out, there is real value, not just in doing something easy, but rather building a strong community among these younger future leaders. So why am I so high on this? Well, with our Nova Society program, we often talk about how charitable giving is a muscle that we develop, a habit that we have to form. The same is true of our civic engagement. So why should we wait until the donors and the activists and the organizational cheerleaders we need are in the later stages of life to develop these habits? Let's get them involved now. Give them repetition supporting this work, and our organizations will reap the rewards over time. I hope you will be a part of helping these and other groups move forward. Ask the groups you support how they're reaching out to younger supporters. And if they tell you it isn't possible, well, shoot them a link for this episode. Get them inspired by listening to what Taneo, Washington Policy Center, and America's Future are doing. Thank you for tuning in. I look forward to chatting with you again in our next conversation. Please make sure you don't miss that by subscribing in your podcatcher of choice or go to donorstrust.org podcast to sign up for email alerts about each new release. Thanks above all for being a giver. Let's talk more soon. Thank you.